Welcome to this Peer Voice activity. To access the entire activity, including downloadable slides and transcript, go to www.peervoice.com forward slash DZQ. This activity is supported by an educational grant from Moderna TX Incorporated. Welcome to this Peer Voice panel discussion on COVID 19. This activity comprises two presentations featuring Professor Amitava Banerjee and Dr. Michael Peluso. At any time during this presentation, you may download supporting materials and share this activity with colleagues. Hi, this is Michael Peluso. I'm an assistant professor of medicine in the Division of HIV, Infectious Diseases, and Global Medicine at Ferberg San Francisco General Hospital at the University of California, San Francisco. Welcome to this activity on long COVID and vaccination status. Joining me in this discussion is my esteemed colleague, Professor Amitava Banerjee, Professor of Clinical Data Science and Honorary Consultant Cardiologist at University College London. Thanks, Michael. So, the World Health Organization defined long COVID as persistence of, of、um, symptoms three months after initial、um, SARS CoV 2 infection.、Uh, And those symptoms have to last for at least two months with no other explanation. Michael,、uh, the, the CDC, how have they defined、uh, this condition? So, in the United States, the National Institutes of Health refer to lung COVID as post acute sequelae of SARS CoV 2 infection or PAS, while the CDC refers to it as post COVID conditions. And the timescale is different in, in the US.、Um, we require that only four weeks have passed since a person has had COVID. But I think overall, the preference、uh, is to define long COVID as being present three months after a person's had initial SARS CoV 2 infection. This slide shows the time course of viral shedding with SARS CoV 2. And so typically, The virus is only recovered from a person's nose or throat、um, for about one to two weeks after the initial infection. This is really the acute phase of the illness that lasts a couple of weeks. Everything after the acute phase of the illness, you know, three weeks and beyond, is considered to be the post acute phase, and people are not expected to be contagious、uh, during that phase of infection. There's a plethora of symptoms that can happen. Uh, Post COVID,、um, affecting multiple organs.、Uh, there's re- ranging from breathlessness and chest pain to more general symptoms such as fatigue or more cognitive symptoms.、Uh, this can also um, be, be um, variable um, across individuals. Michael, do we know? How, how these symptoms present in particular people? Yeah, I think that that's exactly right. The important thing to, to know about long COVID is that there's not one set of symptoms that every person with this condition experiences. There's quite a bit of variability、um, between each individual experiencing long COVID symptoms. So, measuring long COVID is really hard because, in addition to variability between Individuals with long COVID symptoms, there can also be variability over time within one individual experiencing long COVID symptoms. So, these are some data from our research study just showing the symptom of fatigue 
and about 100 people over time, six weeks, four months, and eight months post-COVID. So you can see that about half of these people never have fatigue across time. Um, about 20 people have fatigue at six weeks. And some of those people, they will continue to have it for up to eight months. In other people, it'll go away by four months. And then in some of those people, it'll come back by eight months. And then there's still people who don't develop fatigue until four or eight months after they have COVID. So it's really complicated. Some symptoms will naturally get better over time. Other symptoms won't show up until later. And some symptoms can, can wax and wane. They can get better and then they can recur. And then even that is just the, the binary presence or absence of symptoms. It doesn't capture how severe or how bothersome those symptoms are and what the impact of those symptoms are on a person's quality of life. Long COVID is common uh, in, in this synthesis of uh, nearly 200 studies covering 750,000 individuals. We've seen that um, a sizable proportion, you know, 40, 45% of, of um, people may have at least one symptom um, that persists. Uh, but even if the um, proportion was 5 or 10%, given the scale of COVID illness across countries, this is a huge population of people with long COVID that we're facing across the world. So there are certain risk factors that seem to be associated with the development of long COVID. These include female gender, um, more than male gender, middle age rather than the extremes of age, lower socioeconomic status and less access to healthcare, other medical comorbidities, in particular diabetes and obesity, and the severity of the acute infection, such as whether somebody was sick enough to be hospitalized during acute COVID. But those risk factors don't really capture what is the underlying biology or pathophysiology driving long COVID. So there are several mechanisms that are under investigation right now to figure out why a person might be experiencing long COVID symptoms. These include persistence of the SARS-CoV-2 virus beyond the acute stage into the post-acute stage of infection, inflammation or dysregulation of the immune system, viral co-infections that reactivate, in particular, Epstein-Barr virus, the virus that causes mononucleosis, microbial translocation or leaky gut, so pieces of normal bacteria or, or fungal organisms that live within our bodies that kind of escape um, from the gut into the blood. Dysfunction of the clotting cascade and, um, and platelets. And further dysregulation of the immune system and autoreactivity or autoimmunity. So all of, these, all of these items are under investigation as potential mechanisms of long COVID. I mean, do you have any comments? Yeah, Michael, the... These, of course, mechanisms might uh, coexist um, in, and they might vary from person to person. So as we understand more about long COVID, we hope that this underlying pathophysiological basis will help us understand the clusters of symptoms that we see and hopefully how we might treat different people differently uh, to to help them in their recovery. We've known for some time that long COVID affects 
not just one organ system, but multiple organ systems. And uh, in this study early in the first wave, we looked at over 500 individuals in the post-COVID phase and performed multi-organ MRI scan, looking at all uh, major organs except for the brain. And we repeated the scan at one year. And in this mainly non-hospitalized cohort, we saw that nearly 60% of people had persistent um, organ impairment in at least one organ at 12 months. Now, even if that's mild organ impairment, that potentially is an extra burden on um, healthcare systems. Going back to hospitalized uh, um, COVID patients, in the first wave, one of the concerns uh, is is not only admission and and um, mortality. We showed in a large cohort of over forty thousand individuals that um, at four months, thirty percent of people were readmitted to hospital and twelve percent died, and a sizable proportion had new uh, long-term illnesses from diabetes and cardiovascular disease to kidney disease and liver disease. So again, uh, this this is um, a, a major burden to individuals and, and and potentially the health system. Michael, what what do you what do you think um, is happening here? Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously all of these other health conditions existed before there was COVID and people um, uh, acquired them over over time. But I think what's been seen over and over, like you mentioned, is that COVID seems to, to really increase um, the risk of people developing these other uh, conditions after they've had their SARS-CoV-2 infection. And so we're trying to figure out why that is, but it's quite a concerning trend that has been seen over and over in multiple studies. So across nearly every study of long COVID, we've seen that this condition can have a major impact on people's quality of life, ability to return to work, uh, ability to maintain their, their relationships with their friends and family. This, um, this really bothers people. And I think, you know, it's worrisome to hear that even, a, you know, a small decrease in quality of life across millions and millions of people has a really big impact on our society. Yeah, and, and I think it's the fact that it, it affects people in their productive years, whether in their family life or professional life. And we we see uh, half of people, for example, not able to return to work full time uh, a year into their illness. Uh, and also uh, you know, neurological and psychological impact that's that's been seen up to two years. And maybe also importantly, this this has a cost not just on individuals, but when we're trying to plan our resource utilization at system level, this this level of impact um, is, is, is something that we need to avoid or or reduce. I think at you know at this point in the pandemic, many of us um, who are clinicians have seen lots of long COVID patients, and I think you know the stories of a lot of these people have really stood out to me, and I think motivated a lot of our work here in in San Francisco. 
You know, I know people who um, worked in healthcare and had such bad brain fog after long COVID, uh, after they had COVID, that they were afraid to return to patient facing duties and had to really change their whole, um, the whole profile of their work because of fear of making a medical error. I know people who were really high functioning in, in, in their roles, you know, reporters who had won awards for their writing, who basically became unable to, to finish a new story. Um, so people are really affected by this. Um, and I think, you know, grounding it in the experience of people is, is really important in motivating, um, motivating the research. So in this section, we reviewed the epidemiology, natural history, potential biology, and impact of long COVID. Thanks for your attention, and I hope that you'll join us for the second part. Hello, my name's Amitava Banerjee. In this second part of our program on long COVID, we'll discuss how vaccination status impacts long COVID. Joining me in this discussion is my esteemed colleague, Professor Michael Peluso. So the impact of vaccination has been looked at uh, in, in this large meta-analysis. And it's shown, firstly, that um, before COVID um, occurs, having the vaccination reduces the risk of having long COVID. Six studies involving over 17 million people have, have shown um, across those studies that there is a reduced risk. And the other impact of vaccination is that in people with existing long COVID, there seems to be a signal that there is reduced um, symptoms or improvement of symptoms uh, in, in a study looking at 11 um, different investigations involving 36,000 people. Michael, um, what do you think of this data? Yeah, I think it's become quite clear over the last year or so that um, that getting vaccinated uh, before you uh, acquire this infection really substantially reduces the risk of developing severe disease and also developing longer-term consequences of the infection. And so that's been very encouraging to me. Um, I think the the data about you know what happens to people who already have long COVID symptoms who are getting vaccinated is more mixed, but there's a growing body of evidence in increasingly higher quality studies suggesting that symptoms may improve in at least some people um, who already have established long COVID. So I'm curious to see um, where that will you know continue to to pan out over the next couple of years. So it's seeming to be the story that long COVID reduces the risk, but doesn't totally knock long COVID on the head. So long, long COVID is not avoided by a vaccination-only strategy. Uh, I mean, as, as Michael said, the, the reductions have been really impressive in the, in the, the different studies. Uh, with with low risk of of not only mortality but also the the post COVID 
sequelae that we're interested here in. But um, I think also we need to keep infection reduction strategies on our minds as well as vaccination. Yeah, I totally agree. I think, you know, there was a lot of hope when the vaccines rolled out for the first time that this would effectively eliminate the, the risk of long COVID. And it's clear that that has not happened. But I do think that the risk reduction is substantial and, um, and you know, is a really encouraging sign uh, uh, that we can have an effect on the likelihood of somebody developing long COVID. But obviously, uh, minimizing infection and avoiding infection still an important strategy. Vaccination can be considered in the context before uh, SARS-CoV-2 infection or after COVID and, um, you know, where, when people actually have long COVID. And in this second group, people with long COVID are sometimes very concerned, understandably, about whether vaccination will worsen their symptoms or maybe prolong their symptoms. Uh, the data seem to support a reduced risk of symptoms. Um, for example, this this um, one study shows uh, a 40% lower risk in people with long COVID of symptoms at six months. But Michael, I, I don't know what your experience is in, in this this space and what you tell your um, patients. Yeah, so I think the data are really important, um, but I often talk to my patients who have these concerns about the experiences of my other patients. So, you know, lots of people who had pre-existing long COVID symptoms that were anxious about getting um, the vaccine. And the vast majority of those people either saw an improvement in their symptoms overall, either temporarily or in some cases sustained, um, or really no change in their existing long COVID symptoms. It's pretty rare, and I can count on one hand um, the number of patients that I've had who uh, have had existing long COVID and their symptoms were felt to be worsened uh, by receiving the vaccine. So in the vast majority of cases, um, people either feel the same or better. And I, I think a lot of people actually have some hope that they'll they'll feel a bit better um, uh, if they get the vaccine. And that leads us on to the the concern of, of patients and of um, you know, the, the, the broader public about whether there's risk of organ damage with vaccination. And I think this needs to be weighed up with the risk of COVID itself. We now have um, a situation where billions of doses of vaccination have been delivered for COVID. Uh, and even though there have been instances of uh, organ-specific side effects, um, including myocarditis, they are really rare uh, compared with, for example, the cardiovascular effects that you see in people with both hospitalized and non-hospitalized long COVID. So I still think that on balance, the the data are absolutely um, in favor of vaccination um, 
as, as, a, as a strategy, not only to avoid severity in the acute phase of COVID, but also to reduce the risk and the severity of long COVID. Yeah, I think that that's such an important point. And these are such important data. You know, often the, the stories that get amplified the most and that people see the most uh, on the news or social media are, um, you know, these unfortunate cases. And I think that that doesn't provide the context of the millions or even billions of people who've seen benefit. So that's that's incredibly important. I think in general, what I tell my patients is that long COVID is real, that it's a condition that, um, you know, I'm concerned about and that they should be concerned about and that outside of avoiding getting COVID in the first place, the single best thing that a person can do to reduce their risk of developing long COVID is to get vaccinated and stay up to date with their vaccines. In this uh, program, we have looked at the relationship between vaccination and long COVID, whether in the primary prevention phase of long COVID or whether we're looking at people post-COVID and whether vaccination reduces the risk of, of long COVID. We've also covered the impact of vaccination in, in terms of whether it's reducing risk or eliminating long COVID. And we've also looked at organ impairment and patient concerns. Overall, we know that vaccination reduces the risk of onset of long COVID and it reduces the severity and the duration of long COVID overall, but it's not a, a strategy alone. We need to take it in the context of infection reduction strategies as well. Uh, and it's clear that organ impairment due to COVID itself and long COVID is much more of a concern than organ impairment due to vaccination. Thank you for your attention. This has been an activity published by Pure Voice.